So, last time we spoke, I went over some facts about Genesis. Figured that I'd start in Genesis because it's the first book of the Bible. Uh, we went over the definition. It's the origin or mode of formation of something. <clears throat> Excuse me. The origin, source, beginning, formation, emergence, birth, creation, etc. It was written by Moses. Uh, covers the first 22 years or so of, uh, of creation from the beginning of creation. Um, there's over 100 allusions to Genesis in the New Testament, though since I spoke last time I've I've read up a little more on it, and uh, there's actually it's actually closer to 200 apparently, um, and that those allusions to Genesis are uh, referencing a historical document uh, for the most part. There, then after jumping around uh, the first few chapters of Genesis, we looked at the probability of who Jesus says he is by the staggering amount of prophecies he fulfilled, and then I mentioned I wanted to go back over. Um, the first chapters of Genesis in more detail because there's a ton of stuff there. I just wanted to drive home that point of, uh, you know, Jesus is who he said he is. So it kind of gives us a reason and a base to jump off of and to go, well, if he says this and he is who he says he is and he's proved it, then we should probably go back and figure out, you know, all the little things that uh, make that up. So, it all starts with Genesis, Genesis 1-1. I'm going to go over Genesis 1-1 and 1-2 today um, and kind of break those out a little bit. Still, it's not it's not exhaustive. There's still more stuff in these verses. It's amazing. But uh, hopefully we'll hit on some valid points today. Um, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So first, we want to kind of lay a foundation here of the authenticity of scripture um, in second Timothy um, Paul's writing to Timothy and says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work that's like one of the best scriptures to memorize it was one of the first ones I ever memorized when I came back to the Lord in my 20s um because it just lays it all out and it casts away all question about the authenticity and the authority of Scripture. Um, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, so it's kind of the uh, end-all be-all there. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So there's a there's an element of faith in here because faith pleases the Lord. He just doesn't come right out and just doesn't show up on the street corner and say, "Hey, I'm God." Uh, he did that once, and a lot of people didn't believe him. So, um, faith is is integral. Uh, you can't come to God except for through faith. So, Colossians one sixteen. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So he was there at the beginning. Um, and we need to remember that it was not only created through him, but it was created for him. So uh, I think a lot of times, I know I do, tend to have a man-centric 
viewpoint, especially in my own life, of why things are and whatnot. And really, um, this is all for His name's sake and for His glory. Um, and we, I think we need to approach um, our relationship with the Lord um, that way. Otherwise, we can run into some trouble. Uh, Isaiah 45.12, I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens, and I commanded all their host. So here's just more scriptures, and there's tons of them, that back up um, creation account. John 1.3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Romans 1.20, this is one of my favorite ones. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived even or ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse, so that man is without excuse. They are clearly perceivable. So what's that, what, what that's saying is that anytime you look at, at creation, anytime you look at what the Lord has done, um, you should understand that there's a lot of structure, there's a lot of information there, there's a lot of design that goes into those things, and that should tip us off to the fact that uh, there indeed is a God and a creator. Um, and he says it's, it's, so, it's so to the point that we're without excuse. So when we stand before him that day, and if we have denied him, there's no excuse. Even just based on the fact that you're here, there's just no excuse. So, uh, throughout Scripture, there are upwards of a hundred references to God's creative activities. So there's a lot. The authority of Scripture in Genesis. Uh, John Morris, he's a commentator and wrote some books. Um, the only proper way to interpret Genesis one is not to interpret it at all. I should probably be doing this, huh? Oh, you're doing it for me. Thank you. Um, that is, we accept the fact that it was meant to say exactly what it says. He also goes on to say another quote here. Thus it is probable that the book of Genesis was written originally by actual eyewitnesses of the events reported therein. Probably the original narratives were recorded on tablets, not tables, of stone or clay in common practice of early times and then handed down from father to son, finally coming into the possession of Moses. Moses perhaps selected the appropriate selections for compilation, inserted his own editorial additions and comments, and provided smooth transitions from one document to the next, with the final result being the book of Genesis as we have received it. And obviously other scripture states that there is inspiration in there as well from the Holy Spirit. John five forty six through 47 For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? It's kind of like a scriptural mic drop there. Um, backing up Genesis and the rest of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, which were all written by Moses. Jesus himself, right from the, uh, the mouth of the Lord, says, if you don't believe Moses... How you can believe me? So it's really, so it's it's it just really goes back and shows the extreme importance of the Old Testament and how it flows into the New Testament and where we've been, where we're going, and things of that nature. 
Um, almost all of the important doctrines and teachings of the Bible have their foundation in the book of Genesis. Genesis gives the foundation for the doctrines of sin, the fall, redemption, justification, the promise of the Messiah and Jesus Christ, the personality and personhood of God, super important, and the kingdom of God. It also shows us the origin of the universe, order and complexity, the solar system, the atmosphere and hydrosphere, life, man, marriage, good and evil, language, government, culture, nations, and religion. That was a quote from uh, Guzik, who is another commentator and author. So there's lots of stuff in there. Um, it's just, it's a very important book. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible, really. Um, it has been for past decade, really. Um, I go to it often. There's there's a lot in there, and it's, it's actually kind of fun. Um, it's a fun book. Genesis 1-2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So we're moving on to the next verse here. So those words, formless and void, um, popped out at me while I was doing this. I was uh, getting this, this ready, and I had a revelation, which was fun, and it actually kind of brought me to tears, uh, which is even more fun. Um, there's two words there. Um, I'm not going to even try to pronounce those. Uh, formless in the original means desolation, desert, a, worth, a worthless thing or in vain. Void means a vacuity, which is a lack of thought or intelligence, empty-headedness, or an indistinguishable ruin. Those are pretty powerful words there. That, uh, you know, you see without form and void, you're like, okay, I understand. It's kind of like a, you know, a ball of dirt or whatever it was, or a ball of water, or dirt with water on it. Um, and there was nothing on it. But then when you look into the actual Hebrew, it's like, oh, wow, this was almost kind of like a worthless thing. You know, like there was, there was really nothing to it and nothing going for it. And you get this sense of hopelessness. Um, which is interesting. I, I intend to read more into that and figure out what else is inside this verse because it seems to me that it it just goes on and on. But for now, we'll focus on the fact that those two words there um, kind of sprung forth the idea in me of uh, that it's it's a shadow and a type of us before we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. The first divine act in fitting up this planet with the habitation of man was for the Spirit of God to move upon the face of the waters. Till that time, all was formless, empty, out of order, and in confusion. In a word, it was chaos. And to make it into that thing of beauty which the world, which the world is at the present moment, even though it is a fallen world, it was needed that the movement of the Spirit of God should take place upon it. And that's a quote from Spurgeon. John 6.44 says, No man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. 
And I will raise him up on the last day. So there's a promise in that. John 3, 1 through 6 says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So there is an amazing shadowing here of the process of redemption. The desolate chaos and ruin was transformed into Eden by God as his spirit fluttered over it. So when uh, that word hovered, it actually kind of, almost kind of paints like an avian picture, like a bird fluttering back and forth. Um, so in us, salvation can also come, can only come as an act of the Holy Spirit. A rebirthing of the undistorted image of God in us and a sealing of the promised return to a perfect world God originally created for us to experience him in. So there from the get-go, the first two verses of the Bible, you see God's regenerative work. He takes this thing that's formless void, that's without meaning, without hope, has nothing going for it, and turns it into a perfect paradise through his precious Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 15.45 says, Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. So here it's talking about Adam was there first. He's the first man created by the Lord. Then it talks about a last Adam. And this is a reference to Jesus Christ. So as the first Adam became a living being, Jesus Christ became a life-giving spirit. So again, in creation, there is a type and a shadow of God's plan for redemption. Romans 5.12 and then 14-15 through 15 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin... So death spread to all men because all have sinned. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. And over those whose sinning was not like the transgression, and even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come, Jesus. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died... Through one's man, one man's trespass, how much more have the grace of God and the free gift 
by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So, one time I was driving home from work, and it was last year sometime. I can't remember, it was summer, I think. It was a nice day out. And I was just kind of contemplating and thinking about Jesus and how he was able to uh, make it for 33 years or so without screwing up, without making a mistake, without sinning. And I've gone over this in my head so many times. I'm just, because I know I'm screwing up all the time. So, and I know everyone else is too. Um, But Jesus says that he was, the Lord says that Jesus was without error, he was without sin. And he had to be in order to be a perfect sacrifice for us. So, um, in order for that to be uh, full in its nature, Jesus was tempted and... uh, and had to go through all the same trials and tribulations that we go through. And yet he came out unscathed. He did it. He was able to complete it. There was a completion there that Jesus was able to do that Adam failed to do in the first place. So I was asking the Lord, uh, how, how did Jesus do it? How did he make it that long without making a mistake? And much in the uh, tradition of what Jesus would do to people who question him in the New Testament, uh, he asked me a question. The Holy Spirit asked me a question. He said, who was his father? And I sat there and I thought about it for a minute. I was like, oh, okay. So we have this type and this this shadow uh, and a story of Adam, whose father was basically God. God created him, created him in perfection, uh, him and Eve. And then through the course of events, they made the wrong decision and chose to sin, which um, thousands of years later, we are still feeling the repercussions of that in uh, much the same way that they did. The difference is, is that Jesus, who did not have a natural father, but was a virgin birth through immaculate conception with Mary, had his fathers in heavens, his seed through him. So it was basically like a redo. It was like, hey, okay, here's the last Adam. The first Adam screwed up. The last Adam will not. And I was like, oh, okay, so all of the imaging that comes down from your previous generations and your past and your family and your ancestry and all that stuff, his was kind of like a clean slate. It was, it was a restart, a redo from, uh, that dates back to Genesis there. So that kind of blew my mind. I was like, oh, okay, that makes perfect sense. So... He was able to do, basically, he was, Jesus was able to do what Adam couldn't do, and what Adam didn't do, and Jesus did it, fulfilled it, and now he passes that on to us, which is super important, because if you don't know what Jesus has done for you, and I walk like this for a long time, if you don't truly know what Jesus did for you, uh, and how deep it goes, uh, again, you can find yourself in a lot of trouble.
Zacharias states, moreover, God is restoring his image in us by conforming us to the image of Christ. It is through union with Christ that we are made like him. And there's a bunch of scriptures that back this up. Here's a few. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, Jesus. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And in Colossians it says, You have put off the old self, literally the old man, with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So, as I go on in Genesis, if that's the way this is going to go, we'll, we'll talk more about this in the future. But um, it talks about how Adam was created in the image of God. Adam and Eve were. Um, God created them in that way. And then when Adam was 130 years old, uh, he and Eve had a son named Seth. And it says that Seth was in the image of Adam. So, which kind of, which 100% correlates with the revelation that the Lord gave me about who Jesus' father was and is. So, there is a distorted image that, uh, that is handed down to us. Because of sin. Uh, Adam had that perfect image on him. Uh, Sin crept in. Destroyed that. Even though we still bear the likeness to the Lord, um, it's a distorted and fallen likeness. So Jesus came and completely and totally gave us the possibility to have that original image restored to us. So when we're saved, you can see that there is a change in people. Um, your spirit becomes one with the Lord. You still have a fleshly issue that tends to be worked out um, over the course of time, as a lot of these scriptures uh, state here. It says that uh, just as we, we have borne the image of, of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, uh, we are being transformed into the same image of the one uh, from one degree to another. Um, we have put off the old man and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So there's a process that happens. There's, um, there's a process that we have to go through, and it's a lifelong process. Um, so hopefully we're growing. You start from that point, and a lot of times that initial point of salvation you're like super on fire and it's great. And then sometimes it kind of dies off a little bit. Um, so it's super important for us. And then as we have new people come to the church and we, we do discipleship and things of that nature, I um, believe a lot of people are going to start pouring into here as the Lord prepares us for that. And then people, it's been spoken over those churches, it's just not, not the lovely people. 
which is great because Jesus didn't hang out with the lovely people. So um, I think it's super important for us to have a strong foundation in this to understand that uh, there's that mercy reigns, and that it's important to know that even you know, especially on Scott, I'm super hard on myself. I need to stop doing that. Um, it's important to do what's right, but it's also important to understand that there is mercy and there's forgiveness, and the Lord loves you. And and where you mess up, there is more mercy. That's in Scripture too. Um, so it's important to understand that there is a progression, and hopefully every day we're getting closer and closer to the Lord. And the Word talks about now we see is in, in a, a, a demir, then we shall see fully. So there's there's a, a process that goes with this and. And uh, if we move on to the next slide here, Colossians three seventeen through 24 says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the faulty or the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So there's an assumption there that people actually learn the truth in the first place. Um, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So again and again and again and again and again, I don't see, I I mean, I grew up in a Christian house and I I don't know how many times I read the Bible before I was even 20. Um, This theme, I never really picked up on it. I mean, I kind of saw it there, but it never really hit home um, in, until recently, really, last couple of years, and how important it is because um, identity, how you identify is how you live your life. So if you identify as I'm a sinner saved by grace, well, you were, it's true, but now you're a saint. <laughs> you have the image of Christ inside of you. And he is working that out in you through that relationship and that walk, um, which is going to lead you right to the pearly gates, as they say, and into the arms of your loving Savior and Creator. Um, At which point, you know, depending on the point in history that we're at, um, eventually there will be a recreation of the earth, and this is going to be our home. but it's going to be like it was supposed to be in in the beginning. So it's super important to make sure that we're putting off the things of the old man, the sin, the deceitful desires, as it says there, and uh, to make sure that we're putting on the new self. So there is an action on our part. It's not just get saved, we're good to go. It's uh, get saved continue on this relationship path with the Lord, continue being rooted in Him and in His Word, which is scriptural as well, and letting that transformation take hold, even in your flesh. And I'm of the opinion that, I mean, you don't have to sin. I think that there's a point you can come to. I'm not saying that you're not going to. I'm not saying that we don't sin. 
But I think that with the image of Christ inside of us and that right relationship with God, I think that he has given us every ounce of strength and every tool that we need to say no to the things that we should say no to and to say yes to the things that we should say yes to, which is even cooler. So going back to the first verse there, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So it's important to let the scripture correct us and instruct us as we grow in this. So it's a process. And thank God that anytime we do mess up, we can go right back to the Lord. And the forgiveness is there. And we can move on. And He is just and faithful to forgive us of our sins. And it's a wonderful, wonderful, um, priceless gift that He's given to us. So, Since we have the image of Christ inside of us, how ought we to live? Kind of sums it up right there. So it's just an encouragement to myself and to everyone else listening that uh, whatever's going on in life, Jesus has the answer. Take it to him. Walk through it with him. Invest the time with him. And watch him do the wonderful things that he does. And I've had experience after experience after experience with the Lord. Of handing things to him that seemingly there was no way out. And he would just do his thing. And suddenly there was a way out. And it was miraculous. So we can trust him in all these things wherever we're at in our walk with him. And there is promise after promise after promise after promise. I just gave you a very small, small section of scriptures that repeat this same idea over and over and over again, is that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And uh, we're allowed to walk that way. And uh, with our... uh, Knees on the ground, but our heads held high because uh, we are his children. And uh, in perfect humility and peace, we can walk through this life and uh, please the Lord. And look forward to a rich reward in his kingdom. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We thank you so much for what you've done. The fullness of what you've done. Lord, we thank you for the pleasures in what you've done that you've given to us, Lord God, that wonderful feeling of security when we can just come before you any place, in the car or at work or uh, at our bedside. When we're eating, when we're watching a movie, at any point in time, we can just reach out to you and you're there, that you've, you've torn the veil, uh, you, you've torn the curtain, And remove the veil, Lord God, that was there through the old way. And we thank you for the new way, Lord God, that we are just, 
We are with you in spirit and truth. We can worship you in spirit and truth. We can talk to you. We can hear you. We can experience you. We can tangibly feel your presence. We can know you. We can know who we are in you. And that you've, you've established these things in patterns and in types and shadows in the Old Testament that replay in the New Testament as confirmations of the way that you are doing things so that we can be doubly assured that you are who you said you are and you're going to do what you said you're going to do. Thank you that we have a firm foundation that we can wake up in the morning and we can stand right on it and we can kneel on it and we can worship you on it and we can walk on it throughout our days. Lord, so we just pray, Lord God, that you would help us to give up everything to you. Let go of everything that we hold on to so dearly in this world that's just perishing with it. Lord, we pray for the conviction of your precious Holy Spirit in us, Lord God, that we would be clean, that we would be ready to meet you face to face. Lord, we thank you, Lord God, for that beautiful treasure that you've given us. Lord, we worship you and we love you and we thank you. Lord, I just speak over the whole congregation, everyone that's listening, everyone everywhere, all of our brothers and sisters in the church, all over the world, Lord God, as we go out into this week, that we would just, we would really walk this way, Lord God, that we would walk as people created by the Lord with the new man on us, the, the image of God restored, and we would conduct all of our business that way, Enjoy all of our relationships that way. That our minds and our our thoughts and our hearts would be filled with worship and praise and glory to you for this. And I just pray that it would be unhindered and just the way that you've always wanted it to be. In the name of Jesus, thank you. Amen.